Well, if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, we are continuing our sermon series through the Lord's Prayer. That will be our text again this morning, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. And if you're able to do so, I'll ask that you stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15, give ear to the reading of God's Holy Word. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, man, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of our God. So let's pray and ask God to teach us his word once again. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given it to us as a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Thank you for giving us, uh, through your Son, this great pattern prayer that we might know how to pray. Lord, we know that as Paul says, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. And Lord, after many years of reciting this prayer and, and knowing you, we still, many of us, we still struggle to know what to pray and how to pray it. So we ask that you would teach us your word, teach us to pray, glorify your name and uh, conforming us to your will. And even even in the way that we pray, uh, teach us your word and give us eyes to see and ears to hear great things from it. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, we are up to the sixth and final request in the Lord's Prayer, which is found in verse 13 of our text. It just says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, some, you might know, some actually view this verse as if it contained two requests instead of one, and so they would say that there are seven requests and not six. They would say that deliver us from evil is a separate uh, request, and they would view it as the seventh petitional request. But either way you look at it, uh, whether you uh, divide it that way or not, uh, it's awfully closely related to the first part of the verse uh, as well. The the most common view, the, the view taught in both the, the Heidelberg Catechism and the Westminster Shorter Catechism, that's our catechism, is that the whole of verse 13 is really one request with two two parts, so to speak. It's one request, and so uh, to ask that our Heavenly Father deliver us from evil is simply a part uh, of the same thing when you're asking that God would keep us from uh, being led into temptation to sin. The whole, the whole verse, both parts, have something to do with God preserving us and keeping us from being overcome by temptation and sin. Now, before we get too far ahead of ourselves getting into the request itself, uh, as we've done so far, as we've gone through, we've seen uh, there's a connection from one thing to the next. There's a connection between the requests. There's a structure to the Lord's Prayer. They're not uh, they're not haphazardly thrown together. Uh, this isn't like the book of Proverbs, although Proverbs also is not haphazardly thrown together as well. The Lord's Prayer has a definite structure and one thing leads to the next with, uh, with, with reason. How does the prayer that God might not lead us into temptation, how is that related to the prayer for forgiveness of our debts? There is a connection. Um, when we ask God to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and the very next thing we ask is, lead us not into temptation, why does the, how does the one lead to the next or flow into the next? Uh, William Perkins, some of you know, uh, he's sometimes called the father of English Puritanism. He writes the following about that. He says, this petition, lead us not into temptation, this petition is joined with the former 
to teach us that as we must be careful to beg mercy and pardon for our sins already past, so we must also be watchful to prevent sins to come. In other words, the, the, the request for forgiveness is for things we've already done and thought and said that we shouldn't have. And so we ask for forgiveness for the things we've, the ways we've already transgressed. And this commandment, or this, this request rather, is to keep us from doing them again. We're asking God to help us to not continue in a sinful way. Another writer has said that the request for forgiveness is a request to God for, quote, pardoning grace. Pardoning grace, while this request not to be led into temptation, is a request for preventing grace. So we ask for pardoning grace, and we ask also after that for preventing grace. So the point is, you know, if you and I desire forgiveness of our sins, and I I assume that we all do, uh, and not just to escape the consequences of those sins, we must be sincerely seeking not just forgiveness, but also seeking to avoid those very same sins that we keep asking forgiveness from. And very often, I don't know, you know, in our worst moments, uh, maybe you can identify with this, we almost view forgiveness as kind of wiping the slate clean and then just getting it, you know, dirty right back up again. And in a sense, we always do that. You, you, you never, in your, in your life, in this life, you will never come to a point where you never sin. Now, we mentioned last week that the, the previous request to forgive us our debts, when Jesus teaches that to his disciples, of all the people he could have taught that to, and then through them to us, what does it imply? It implies that in this life, uh, we will never reach sinless perfection. If, if, and there are people, believe it or not, in our day that still teach that you can come to that point. You can grow to such a point that you cease sinning. Um, such a person can't possibly know their own hearts if they believe that to be true. But when Jesus says to teach us on an ongoing way basis to pray for the forgiveness of sins and to not be led into temptation, that should be a big warning light. That should be a big hint uh, that we are still going to struggle with temptation and sin in this, in this life. If you, if you ask for the forgiveness of your sins, but you have no intention of seeking to avoid those same sins and to put to death the deeds of the body, as Paul says in Romans 8.13, uh, what that means is that, at very least, you have a strange view of the gospel. You have a very strange view of the grace of God uh, in the gospel, and you may yet be a stranger to the grace of God at all. If all we think of the gospel as is kind of a permission slip and a hall pass, to do, a, do as we please, uh, I would suggest we don't know the gospel or Christ very well at all. As Christians, you and I have to be people who don't just loathe the consequences of our sins, as bad as those are, and God gives us consequences to teach us. It's a mercy of God that he does that. But we have to be people that don't just loathe the consequences of our sins, but we loathe and detest our actual sins. Not just because of the consequences, but because they are sins and because they displease our Heavenly Father. Well, let's look at the two parts of this request uh, in order. The first half of this uh, this last Petition or request is, lead us not into temptation. What does it mean to, to ask God? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what, you're asking God, lead me not into, te- or really lead us not into temptation. Have you ever thought that sounded like an odd request? Why would you have to ask God to not lead you into temptation? I, I, I've confessed that I, I have prayed and recited this prayer as from as long back as I can remember as a little kid in church. And it never even dawned on me to think about it, what that meant. I never even stopped to say, 
Does God lead people into temptation? Would God do that to me? Do I have to ask God not to lead me into temptation? What a strange, what a strange request. Why do I have to ask God that? And so I'll put it this way. Does God ever lead his people into temptation? It's kind of a trick question in some ways. Um, and it, well, if he doesn't, if he doesn't, is this request just filler? Is this request superfluous and unnecessary? Did Jesus add, as brief as the Lord's Prayer is, did he leave this one part in for no reason? You know, in other words, is it, do you actually not need to ask this? Well, I think the, the answer to that has to be no. Jesus didn't add something to the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, that's unnecessary. There is, a, there is a, a way in which this request is something we need and we must pray for. But in what way, if God, if God in any way leads his people into temptation, how and in what way or in what sense does he do that? Well, the first thing is the request is not redundant. Jesus doesn't waste our time. He doesn't give us in, his, in this pattern prayer or anything else in Scripture something that we don't need. If he teaches it, it must be needful for us. It's up to us to figure out and, and, and discern how and why we need it. So we have to conclude that in, in some sense... In some way, God leads his people into temptation. Now, the scriptures are pretty clear in James 1.13 uh, that God, does God tempt you? Has God ever tempted a person in the history of, of the world? Never once. James 1.13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Why? For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. God tempts no one, period. Not you, not anyone. It says, let no one say. It's impossible for God to be tempted. It's impossible for God to tempt. Now, I don't know if you think of this, but Matthew chapter 4 contains the account, one of the accounts of Jesus' own temptation in the wilderness. And in Matthew 4, 1, it says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Was Jesus outside of the will of God when he went to the wilderness? Is that the lesson we should take? Should we say, well, you know, Jesus, if you just hadn't gone out in the middle of nowhere for 40 days, everything would have been good. You know, you wouldn't have had to deal with temptation. No, he, uh, he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness for the, for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. Who did the leading? Who led Jesus into the wilderness? The Holy Spirit. It was God's will that he go. In fact, in Mark 1.12, in the parallel account, Mark 1.12 actually says the Spirit, quote, drove him, carried him along into the wilderness. Like he had to go. He was not forced against his will, but to be driven is a pretty strong word. Who did the leading? The Holy Spirit. Who did the tempting? Did the Holy Spirit tempt Christ? No, the devil, to be tempted by the devil. That's a big difference. To be led into temptation is to be tested. You might know that the, the Greek word in your New Testament for testing and for temptation is the same word. There's where some of the confusion comes up. So it depends how it's to be taken, the way that it's used. Uh, in one way, it can, it can be translated to be tested. In one way, it can be translated is to be tempted. To try to tempt someone, to actually tempt someone, is to try to cause them to commit sin. There's a big difference between being tempted and being 
tested. Is, is God's testing ever with the goal in mind to cause sin? No. Does God ever want you to sin? No. Does God put stumbling blocks in your way with the intention of causing you to sin? No. God's goal in, in testing is to reveal mostly to us what's in our hearts and how weak we are and whether or not we have faith or not. Satan's goal in temptation is always to cause you to sin. And there's a big difference between those two things. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, in that testing in the wilderness, he passed his test. He passed the very same test that Adam failed in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. And he passed the same test that we all fail on a regular basis. We would have done no better than Adam in the garden if we had been there in paradise. Adam was in paradise, in a perfect place, a perfect environment, and fell. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days without bread and without drink, and he passed the test for our salvation. That's why sinners like us can be saved from our sins, because Jesus' blood, as 1 Peter 1.19 calls it, is the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb, quote, without blemish or spot. He was tempted, as Hebrew says, in every way as we are, yet without sin, which is the only reason he can be our Savior. So just as we saw that we shouldn't ask for forgiveness without seeking to avoid temptation and sin, in the same way, we we shouldn't ask God to lead us not into temptation if we have no intention of actually seeking to avoid temptation ourselves. We have to seek to avoid temptation ourselves as well if we're going to ask God not to lead us into temptation. Otherwise, what we're doing is we're acting like Adam did in the garden. Who did, who did Adam blame his sin on? There's another trick question. When, when God says, you know, what did you do? What, what did he say? He blamed two people, really. He said, the woman, and didn't stop there. He still would have been wrong, but he said, the woman you gave me. None of this would have happened, Lord. If you hadn't put her here, you had to give me this woman that, you know, how many uh, moments before that, he was like, whoa, man, you know, this is it. This is the, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And then uh, he couldn't take responsibility for his own, for his own sin. He blamed God, ultimately. And we, we sometimes do, in some ways, do the same thing. If we have no intention of actually seeking to avoid temptation, and the things that we know tend toward the temptation and sins that we have a weakness for, uh, we, sh- we have no real right to ask for God to lead us not into temptation. We need to pray it, and we need to seek to follow it as well and have a real intention to seek to avoid those things. Now, there's all kinds of examples you can think of, and uh, you know, sometimes when you give examples, you leave so many things out. That, uh, but uh, you know, just a couple examples. You know, do you spend a lot of time on the Internet? Many of you don't even probably use a computer, and if so, that's probably a good thing. But uh, are you careful what you watch? Do you look at things on the internet when no one's around that you know you shouldn't see? Do you, you know, do you not have things in place to keep you and guard you from those things? If you have a problem with drunkenness, do you put yourself in situations or places or around certain people that are likely to, to lead you in that direction? In other words, we sometimes think of the the sin itself, which is a right thing to think about, but we don't tend to think sometimes very carefully about what leads to or tends toward those things. Are, Are there ways that you leave yourself open to temptation that if you just thought about it for a moment and prayed about it, that you would know better and you wouldn't? Do you guard your your steps as well as uh, asking for forgiveness for those 
things. It's for good reason that Jesus said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And what does he say then? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. Prayer and watchfulness have to go together. I I often, uh, in a different way, I often will say when we're praying on Friday mornings, one of my requests is always, because I know I'm bad at it, I say, God, help me to see your answers so I'm quick to give you the thanks you deserve. How often have you prayed and you don't think, when you see the answer, that you don't even think to thank God for it? And, you know, seeing God, God's answer strengthens you in your prayers. It encourages you to pray. Well, in the same way, Jesus says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Prayer and watchfulness have to go together. And why do prayer and watchfulness have to go together? Because we're not as strong as we think we are. None of us are as strong as we think we are. Have you learned that in your life through all your Trials and testings and temptations and stumblings and getting back up and seeking God's mercy and, and your backslidings and whatever things you've, God has, has gotten you through to this, to this point. Have you learned that you're not that strong? Have you learned just how weak you are on your own if not for the grace of God in your life? We, we are weak. He is strong. It's no wonder that in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands do what? Take heed lest he fall. We all like to think we're doing just fine on our own. He says, let, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And the Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is almost a sure way of ensuring a, a fall. I like what the Heidelberg Catechism has to say about this request. It says this, question 127, it's almost at the very end of the whole catechism. Question 127 of the Heidelberg says, what does the sixth petition mean? Answer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil means, and here's the the part I wanted to emphasize. It means, quote, we are so weak that we cannot stand on our own for a moment. That kind of puts it, Sweet and blunt and to the point. We are so weak that we cannot stand on our own for a moment. That's what, that's at least part of what this request is teaching us. When we say, lead us not into temptation and deliver me from evil, deliver us from evil. We're so weak that we cannot stand on our own for a moment and our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we may not be defeated in this spiritual fight, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. That's what the Heidelberg has to say as a summary of this request. We're weak and we have enemies. And if we're left to ourselves, we can't stand for a moment. God has to be the one in his grace and power to Deliver us all the way to the end. This request in the Lord's Prayer reminds us that we need to pray. One of the reasons you and I need to pray and need to pray for God to lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil is that we are weak. We're weak people and we can't stand for a moment. And why can't we stand for a moment? Maybe you're sitting here saying, I don't feel that weak, Pastor. You know, maybe sometimes, but why can't I stand for a moment? How come I'm not strong enough on my own? I'm stronger than some, some people I know. I know so-and-so, they're weak, but I'm not like so-and-so. What, what The catechism actually goes on to tell you why. It's not just because you're weak, it's because your enemies are strong. 
Your enemies are a lot stronger than you think they are. We have powerful enemies, enemies without the devil, the world, enemies within our own flesh. And it says in in that question that they're always on the attack. We may not feel like we're under attack, but there's no ceasefire. There's no truce. They don't take Sundays off. They don't take certain times of the week off. They're always, it's always there. If you and I are to be delivered in this spiritual fight that we are in throughout the Christian life, it must be the Lord alone, Him alone, who upholds and delivers us in time of temptation. What's the second part of this request? It's deliver us from evil. Why does Jesus add that? What is that? What are we praying? What are we asking God to do when we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? What does it mean to pray for that? This is, it's really just expanding on the, on the request itself. He's, he's expanding and explaining, uh, what he began to have us ask in the first part of verse 13. To be delivered from evil is really just a part of being protected or delivered from temptation and sin. To put the other way around, to be kept from temptation is a part of being delivered from evil. We're really praying in this whole request mainly to be kept from sin. That's what we're praying for. A.W. Pink writes this, To be kept from the evil of sin is a far greater mercy than to be kept from the trouble of temptation. Is it sometimes God's will, not that he does the tempting, is it sometimes God's will to allow you to be tempted? Yes. God, you know, part of the reason for this request that I didn't really bring up is God is sovereign over all things. You know, our, our, our standards say that God foreordains whatsoever comes to pass in time. And sometimes we, 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 you might chafe at that. You might say, oh, I don't know about this God being sovereign over all things and being involved in every last action of every person on the planet. And, but, you know, the same doctrine we often find very comforting in other places with good reason. You know, Jesus teaches about, uh, you know, two birds are sold for a penny, but not one of them falls to the ground apart from your, the will of your Father in heaven. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. The Heidelberg's first question says that God makes all things work together for your salvation in such a way that not a hair can fall from your head apart from the will of your Father in heaven. Romans 8.28, we, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Why is that? Because God is sovereign. And he watches over you in every way. He is in control of all, of all things. So when we, when we pray to be kept from uh, temptation, uh, to be kept from sin itself is the better and more important thing. The evil here that we're, we're, t- we're telling God and asking God to deliver us from, the word evil, it can refer to the evil one, to the devil himself, or just evil in general, including sin itself. I think the more I think about it, the main thing it's really got in mind is the sin itself, whether it has to do with Satan's temptation or not. The shorter catechism puts it this way, question 106, what do we pray for in the sixth petition? In the sixth petition, which is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we pray that God would either keep us from being tempted to sin, the first part, or support and deliver us when we are tempted. I think that sums it up about as good as you can sum it up. Either keep us from temptation because we know that we're liable to fall, or when we are tempted, when it's God's will to allow you to go into some kind of of temptation, uh, that he would support and deliver you when you are tempted. Keep me from temptation, but if it's not your will, if it's your will that I be tempted in some way, 
Help me not to sin. That's that's really what this prayer, this request is about. So we pray for God to keep us from temptation because we know how weak we are. And we pray to our Heavenly Father that He would support and deliver us when we are tempted. We pray this for our own good. We pray for this for the good of those around us, whether it be our family members, our church family, our neighbors. Pray this for the good of the and the glory of God's name. You know, the glory of God's name, um, theologians often talk about uh, kind of arguing with God in prayer. You, you'll find in the scriptures, if you read through uh, certain parts, you'll see uh, Abraham and Moses and Paul and others, they, they argue, in a sense, with God in prayer. And that may sound awfully prideful, but what I mean by that is they kind of, in a, in a holy way, in a, in a faithful way, they kind of put God's own promises and argue them back to him. They, we often, you know, what's the first request in the Lord's Prayer? Do you remember? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's let your name be hallowed or revered or set apart. You know, it, that's the main request in the prayer. And in some ways, that's the argument. We want your name to be glorified even in, in little old us. Therefore, keep us from temptation and deliver us uh, from the evil one. Glory, arguing to God in prayer, in a, in a sense, and, and you know, petitioning him on the basis of the glory of his own name is a good way to pray. Moses did that. Remember, God said, okay, I'm paraphrasing. I've had enough of these people. Look at what they're doing. You know what, Moses? I'm going to start over. I'm going to wipe all these people out. I'm going to start over with you. It'll all be good. It'll all be great. And what did Moses say? No, God, God wasn't really wanting to do that. But what did Moses say back to him? Again, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, what will the nation say that you brought these people, your people, not my, not my people, your people, God, out here to perish in the wilderness? In other words, he said, that won't glorify your name. And God honored that, didn't he? That's, that's, that's the way God often works. He's doing that not to teach himself, but to teach us. God doesn't need us to argue with him, but it's a, man, it's a way of arguing from faith when you pray to God. None of us are sufficient for these things on our own. That's why this request, really all the requests in the last half of the Lord's Prayer, you've noticed they're in the plural, the first person plural. This is grammar day, right? It's forgive us our debts. Lead, not just me, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need to pray not just for ourselves, but for each other in the church and in our families. We must pray that God would deliver us, not just ourselves, from evil. Do you pray for and with your brothers and sisters in Christ this way? You know, we often pray, and nothing wrong with this, we often pray for should I say earthly things? And God teaches you in the Lord's Prayer to pray for your daily bread. And so we pray for those uh, we know who are sick. We pray for those who have needs. We pray for those who are struggling with some kind of a trial. And those things are all uh, all good and all well and all honoring to God. But we also need to pray for each other when it comes to sin and temptation. That God would keep us from temptation. That God would deliver us from evil and from sin. And this prayer, because it's plural the way it is in these requests, also has, if you think about it, it has a churchward focus. Again, it's not just me, myself, and Jesus. It's us. It's our. It's plural. It's about the church. Not just this church in particular, but the church everywhere. We're taught here to pray for the good of ourselves as well as each other, especially as it has to do with temptation and evil and sin. No. Not only does Jesus teach us to pray this way in the Lord's Prayer, as we're seeing this morning, but did you know Jesus actually himself prayed for you this way? He prayed for us 
this way. You know, we, we very often, with good reason, we call Matthew 6, 9 to 13, the Lord's Prayer. And there's nothing wrong with that title. It's a fine title. It's served the church well for all this time. But it's also been said that that could be called, more rightly, the Disciples' Prayer. And then if you want to talk about, strictly speaking, the Lord's Prayer, what passage should you turn to? John chapter 17. Because that's the prayer that Jesus didn't just teach. That's the prayer Jesus himself prayed. And in that prayer, who did Jesus pray for? Another trick question. He prayed for the disciples, but who else did he pray for? He prayed for you. If you're a Christian, he prayed for you in John 17. He said, I pray for those who are going to believe because of them, the disciples. And one of the things he prayed for is found in verses 14 to 17 of John chapter 17. It says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. You know, the book of Hebrews, the book of Romans, the different places tell you that Jesus intercedes for you. He intercedes for as your great high priest. He prays for you before the Father intercedes for you, represents you before the Father at all times as he seated at the right hand of God. But he also prayed for you during his earthly ministry. Jesus prayed for you, and he continues to intercede and pray for you. And he prayed not that you be taken out of the world. That would be, that's what I would want. You know, this, I don't want to be tempted, just put me in a, you know, someplace else. And Jesus said, didn't pray. He said, I don't pray that. I don't pray that you take them out of the world and keep them in a safe bubble somewhere but that you would keep them from, guard them from the evil one. And he prayed for your sanctification as well, for your growth in grace, which sometimes involves being tempted, being shown your weakness, and having to lean upon the grace of God and the power of God for deliverance. Do you imagine for one moment, if you think about this, you know, I I, I know that we often pray for and with each other, and I, I, I know that some of you have, probably told each other even recently, hey, I'm praying for you. When you know someone's having a particularly hard time, a trial, you pray for them and you tell them you're praying for them. And I hope you're encouraged when people say that, that you don't just take it as, oh, they're just saying that. You know, it's like saying, how are you? And you say, fine, because it's what you're supposed to say. We say, I'm praying for you, brother. Do you actually pray? I hope you do. I'm, I'm sure that you do. Um, are you encouraged when someone tells you they're praying for you? What if I told you that Christ prays for you? How encouraged should you and I be that Christ prays and intercedes for you at all times? It's one thing for someone like me or you to pray for each other, but for Christ to pray, do you imagine for one moment that God the Father will not answer Christ's prayers on your behalf? Will Christ ever utter a prayer for you that won't be answered in the affirmative since he died and rose again for you? Of course he'll answer him. Of course he'll give him what... He asks for you, and he asks these things that we be kept from the evil one and that we might be sanctified in God's truth. So may the Lord's Prayer and this request that we're looking at this morning teach us to pray, and not just pray for ourselves alone, but others as well, especially in the church, to be kept from temptation and to be delivered from evil. May God be glorified in answering prayers like this as we learn to pray that our lives might more and more glorify our Father who's in heaven. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Lord's Prayer. We thank you for this simple summary of 
how to pray to you rightly, what to ask for. Lord, we know that our prayers very often don't don't conform to this pattern very well. Uh, we sometimes just pray for things we, we want in this life, and uh, we don't pray that your name might be hallowed, that your kingdom would come, that your will might be done above all things. Uh, and and we, we pray for uh, all kinds of things, but we don't often pray uh, beyond for forgiveness. We, we don't often pray that, that you would keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil, Lord. We pray that you would... Work in us what only you can do by your spirit. Change how we pray. Help us to keep these things in mind. Help us to be, as as your son said, to watch and pray lest we enter in temptation. Forgive us for our debts, Lord. Cleanse our hearts from unrighteousness. Keep us from the path of temptation. Uh, break the power of, of, uh, of sin uh, within us. Give us grace to more and more. For the glory of your name, live uh, in such a way that we die unto our sins and live unto righteousness, that you might be glorified, that your people might be built up. Um, help us, Lord, in our weakness. We know we can't stand for a moment on our own uh, unless you keep us from temptation and deliver us. Please do that for the glory of your name and for the and for our benefit as well. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.